Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Fiona Maxwell, CEO at Brisbane Powerhouse. It's wonderful to have you along today, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation with Fiona. She's a fascinating lady who's had a really interesting background prior to taking on her new role. However, before I get into introducing Fiona to you, let me briefly introduce myself for those people who are not familiar with the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive, and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. We also provide a range of career coaching and advocacy services for senior executives and non-executive directors currently looking for their new role. So if I can be of any assistance to you, please feel free to reach out via LinkedIn or our website. Let me now formally introduce to you Fiona Maxwell. Fiona Maxwell completed a Bachelor of Visual Arts at Queensland University of Technology and then a Master's in Arts Administration at the University of New South Wales. Her career has seen her work in a number of arts-related organisations, including having been General Manager and then CEO at Next Wave Festival, the Queensland Manager at Arts Support Australia, Queensland Manager at Philanthropy Australia, and her most current role as CEO at the Brisbane Powerhouse for just over 12 months. Fiona lives in Brisbane, Australia. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Fiona Maxwell. All right, well, Fiona, welcome to the Aratape Podcast. It's fantastic to have you along on what is actually a very warm Brisbane winter's afternoon, but uh, suffering a little bit from a cold, so I'll make sure that I uh, take it easy on you. <laughs> well, it's the slightly husky voice. Isn't, I don't normally sound quite like this. Right. <laughs> oh, well, we, um, we uh, will uh, take advantage of that while we can. So um, uh, firstly, just to begin the conversation, mm. perhaps for the benefit of people who are listening in, just have a talk about your current range of professional responsibilities. So I'm the CEO of Brisbane Powerhouse. Um, Brisbane Powerhouse is a significant arts organisation uh, and, and cultural precinct in Brisbane. Um, we turn over about 12, to $12 million a year. Um, we have about 50 staff. We have about 700,000 people come through our precinct every year. Mm-hmm. About 150,000 people buy tickets. Mm-hmm. So a big and, and complex organisation. And as CEO, um, I share joint responsibility for the leadership of the organisation with our artistic director. Okay. And we report into our board. Okay. And uh, for people who aren't from Brisbane, Mm. give us a sense of the location because it's pretty special. It is pretty special. So the Powerhouse building was built in the 1920s um, and is a big, spectacular, old, rambling um, uh, brick uh, construction and uh, on the edge of the Brisbane River. So obviously in, in its day, coal was loaded in one side and the light rail or the trams of the 1920s rattled out the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in a suburb called New Farm, which what are we about three k's from the city centre, four k's from the city centre. Um, so you know you can you can reach us by boat, bus, 
or car or um or bicycle mm -hmm. and a couple of fantastic restaurants here oh and... of course yeah yeah two spectacular restaurants one for some classic italian and the other one for um, contemporary australian both with um waterfront dining and mm -hmm. um we also do uh weddings functions corporate workshops uh, farmers markets and, and everything in between mm -hmm. we have 87 brides booked between now and next september wow. so um yeah, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty so special So on average, place. Uh, a bit over one a week? Yes, yeah, okay. yeah. We even had a Tuesday lunchtime bride the other day. Right. So, you know, if you're in a hurry, <laughs> it's probably hard to find a Saturday slot anywhere. Sure, so. oh, very good. And uh, certainly uh, not only doing very formal uh, highbrow type uh, uh, events and so on, but also it's a great place to showcase local talent, local yeah. musicians and comedians and a whole heap of things. Oh, absolutely. So really one of our biggest activities is the Brisbane Comedy Festival. Right. So we had just over 40,000 people through in three weeks mm -hmm. for the Comedy Festival. And that ranged from, you know, the big known guys, you know, um, that, that you'd see on TV, Dave Hughes and all of that kind of Adam Hills and, and so on, um, through to, to lesser known um, folk, including a, a, um, a Facebook phenomenon called True Australian Patriots, right. which um, was probably inspired by Pauline Hanson before she staged a comeback. Okay, so, right. Um, yeah, so, so some great stuff. Lots of local music. Mm -hmm. Sunday afternoons is always a great place to come and um, kick back with a beer sure. and, and, and catch a local band. Yeah, for great. Free, so. Okay, fantastic. And you've literally been in the role for just on 12 months. Absolutely. Right. The LinkedIn anniversary reminder <laughs> clocked over and I was like, oh my goodness. Right. And so uh, I find it interesting to talk to C CEOs at the end of three months mm. uh, and I've had quite a few uh, guests on who are sort of at that period of that first 90 days but I suppose the first 12 months when you look at you know what you've achieved in that time what are some of the significant things you're most proud of? Well I'd have to um, it's funny actually because when I was recruited they gave me the first 90 days book and as one of my interview questions they said what would you do in the first 90 days I have to go back and look whether if any of those things ever came true. Right. Um, uh, look, it's it's uh, a huge. We've we've achieved a huge lot and 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 a huge amount. I'm really proud of. Um, I think I came into this role um, really very Pollyanna and um, and sort of discovered all sorts of, of big challenges that mm -hmm. we needed to tackle mm -hmm. um, that we probably weren't. Nobody was quite aware of, right. of the the scale or magnitude. Um, and I guess, you know, we can go into it a bit more, but the, the short version of it is that um, a whole lot of increased costs and and, uh, and stakeholder relationships meant that we had to make some quite dramatic changes to the mm -hmm. way the business operates, mm -hmm. which also included a restructure and um, and, and some staffing changes. Mm -hmm. So um, so that's been a, a massive change journey for mm -hmm. the organisation that we're still, you know, in following through, you know. Sure. Um, but... Um, you know, I guess largely we've we've gotten through that in good spirits, mm -hmm. and um, you know, and I'm and I'm positive, really positive about the the future that we're now headed towards. Okay, great. So. Well, we'll uh, we'll dip into that a, a bit more uh, a little later in the conversation. Mm. So, I like to go back to where it all began. Tell us yes. a little bit about where you were born, mum, dad, brothers, sisters, uh, and your early life. 
Ah, well, it's, it's always sort of one of those. I was born in Townsville, but um, never actually lived there. Okay. So my parents were sheep farmers in Winton in North Queensland. Okay. And, um, and back in the day, you probably, if you had an option, didn't have your babies in Winton. Right. So um, so a few weeks out, my mum trekked over to, uh, to Townsville and, um, you know, sat in the CWA yeah. apartments and, until uh, the baby came. Um, and so, yeah, so lived for a few years in Winton and then... Brisbane, Mount Isa, Cairns, um, okay. finished my schooling again in, in Brisbane. Okay. So And uh, brothers and sisters? Two brothers. Older or younger? younger two younger, younger brothers. Right, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. They um, they both went on to train as engineers, but most recently my younger brother has um, has retrained as a digital, um, you know, electronic musician. Right. So okay. DJ sure. and, and that okay. sort of thing. So that's exciting to have... Um, someone come back into the cultural side. Right, and uh, unusual for people who live on the land to move around as much as your parents did. What was that all about? Well, yeah, my father then went on to become an engineer as, as well. Okay. So, um, you know, the life on the land, I think, was tough and, sure. and he wanted something that was going to, um, you know, help support the family mm-hmm. in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, still lots of family in um, in the far north and okay. it's, uh, it's a tough, tough place sure. to be. Yeah. So, um so yeah, so they've they've moved around a, a fair bit. My mum um, was English, and my parents met in the mid seventies on um, on the back of a truck from London to Kathmandu. Okay. So on the original Kontiki tour. Oh really? So, so I guess from that, that really we've always had an appetite for for travel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a student exchange in Belgium. I okay. lived in Los Angeles for a while, working at the Getty Museum. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and done lots of lots of travelling all over the place. Okay, so. sure. And so, uh, when were you uh, you moved back to Brisbane to do your high schooling? Yes, and I did my undergrad um, okay. at uh, QUT in visual arts. Okay. So. Um, what inspired uh, that uh, direction in terms of your career? Was that something that you were very aware of early in your life? That that's the way that you wanted to go, or how did that all unravel? Look, I think I, I always probably kept my options open and, and you know, the arts was, was always an, an interest. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, I, I signed up for law as my first choice okay. because I'd read The Firm yes. and I was like, well, I want to be a lawyer. <laughs> of um, course. You know, you should make all career decisions based on um, John Grisham books. Um, and then before even the OPs and things were released, I, I changed my allocation. So I started actually doing visual arts and education. Mm-hmm. So with that idea that I'd have teaching as a fallback, mm-hmm. but I really believed that teaching is a calling and you have to mm-hmm. want to do it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I scaled that back and just focused on the visual arts right. side of it. And when you were going through high school, were you working? Did you have a part-time job or through university? And oh yeah, I did. I worked at, my first part-time job was in Toy World in right. Cairns. Okay. Um, so uh, I could tell you an awful lot about Power Rangers right. and Ninja Turtles and, and that sort of thing. I also remember it was $5.68 an hour, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is the funny things you sort of embed in your, sure. in your memory. Yeah. Um, but I actually largely worked in admin, okay. um, you know, through, through the rest of, of things. I, um, I did three shifts in a pub once. Right. And, um, Thankfully, uh, never since. <laughs> right. And so um, you did your Bachelor of Arts, Visual Arts. Yes. And then uh, fairly immediately moved into your Master's program? Yeah, so then I moved to Sydney and did a Master's in Arts Administration at the College of Fine Art, which is part of the University of New South Wales. Okay. 
um, which is a you know a great course, and that sort of led me to Los Angeles to do my internship at the Getty Museum. Right. So uh, again, for people who are unfamiliar, tell us uh, about that. Oh, look, the um, the Getty Museum is is one of those great American institutions founded mm-hmm. by you know a, an incredibly generous benefactor. Um, John Paul Getty was a uh, an oil magnate okay. who um, who had lots of offspring and a large family, but frankly hated most of them. Right. Um, you know, you may have heard of the time. I think it was in the eighties when one of his nephews or grandchildren or whatever was kidnapped by the Italian mafia and they right. chopped off his ear and sent it back to Getty and he okay. chose not to pay the ransom <laughs> even at that point. <laughs> right. So he wasn't a very, you know, might not have been the nicest chap, but um, very generous in establishing an mm-hmm. extraordinary museum mm-hmm. and uh, and a range of uh, other institutes mm-hmm. a- around that. Um, so I worked in the web group there okay. back in the sort of heady days where there were 20 people working on one website. Right. Um, and, uh, and that was just fantastic. Sure. I imagine there must have been quite a lot of competition to get an internship like that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the, uh, the American ad- ad- interest in postgraduate study is, mm-hmm. is, is very strong, obviously, because of the university structure. Sure. So yeah. it was always sort of funny to be introduced as, this is Fiona Maxwell. She's doing a master's at the University of New South Wales. And right. I was like, oh, am I? All right. <laughs> <laughs> and so how long were you there for in total? Oh, just under a year. Right, okay. Yeah, and yeah. basically working full-time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the Getty worked this brilliant model of, um, of a nine-day fortnight. Okay. Um, because in order to build... The museum is on the top of a big hill, and they're very environmentally conscious in the States. So um, in order to get the planning permission to build the museum, they had to identify how they'd make a 10% cut in emissions. Right. So basically all the staff worked nine days out of 10. Right. So you worked, as you do anyway, you worked half an hour longer every day. Sure, yeah. And uh, and that added up to nine days. So okay. managed to do a lot of traveling and- Yeah, I bet. You know, seeing the sights. And for somebody uh, excited about a career in visual arts, there couldn't be a better place to spend oh, a year than in New York. Yeah, yeah. Just what were some of the uh, the highlights of your uh, recreational time there? Well, you know, I saw a lot of California, really. Okay. So, um, you know, Joshua Tree and San Francisco and mm-hmm. Death Valley and those kind of places. Um, I went to Hawaii for the weekend. Right. Um, which, you know, you can't do here. Sure, yeah. So um, that was with a man from Transylvania, which was... Um, completely bonkers in its own world. So, okay. Yeah. And then back to Monash. Yes, yes. Yeah. So um, lived in, in Melbourne, worked at the Monash University Museum of Art mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then also ended up as uh, CEO of the Next Wave Festival in Melbourne. So, okay. Um, which was just a fantastic youth arts organisation that puts mm-hmm. on a biennial festival. Right. But one of the highlights there was um, presenting the Commonwealth Games cultural program, okay. so the youth component of, yeah. of that, um, which was just amazing, you know, an extraordinary time to mm-hmm. be part of, of something like mm-hmm. that. And so how did that opportunity come about for you? Well, that was something that, um, you know, when they were putting the Commonwealth games together mm-hmm. that that was that was all part of it and it's funny I, I'd been the administrator at, at Next Wave and um, a slightly drunken evening with one of the sort of bosses at the time he said or said to me oh you know Fiona where do you want to be in five years time and I right. said oh, I'd love to be the CEO of Next Wave or the general manager as the title was at the time and um, and about three weeks later he called me up and went oh well the 
the current general manager's leaving, why don't you apply for the job? Right. <laughs> so, um, wow. And so for somebody who, you know, was still very early in their career, mm. what do you think it was that uh, gave you the, I suppose, the confidence that you could take on, you know, such a big job and, and handle it well? It was, it was really, um, it was the support of those other people. So mm-hmm. really the... Um, the support of the artistic director who who said you should apply for this job and we'll do this together the support of the board i had the most amazing board chair um who was very nurturing and Mm -hmm. and supportive but also then um a deputy chair who committed to um taking on an informal mentoring role with me he was you know ex-McKinsey and and that end of town and really helped to sort of sharpen some of those business skills. We then had another board member who was in the leadership space Mm -hmm. and he um, basically had a diagram or a scientific explanation for everything, which, you know, just helped to sort of contextualise Mm -hmm. why this was going on or why that was going on. Mm -hmm. So I really felt that after seven years at Next Wave, we really had the organisation finely tuned and and working with some great systems and processes mm-hmm. and so you brought in the uh the artistic passion but you had these commercial very experienced people surrounding you that were able to assist you in fulfilling the ceo responsibilities yeah yeah absolutely so you know i, I had the basics of quickbooks but right. otherwise my finance capability was sure. pretty limited and i mentioned so, like um, uh, most of these things you're probably running on the smell of an oily rag were you completely completely right. yeah yeah so um you know which is why you rely hugely on the on the um free advice of um of lawyers and accountants and and corporate and commercial Mm -hmm. experts okay Um, and so you were there for about five years yeah what uh motivated you then to return to queensland sunshine i used to get chillblains right um i wanted to live somewhere warm but also my family were up here so a good opportunity my husband started a business and um and uh, and we moved back up here so that was um that was you know, okay. timely and um i ended up in a role with um art support australia which was an initiative of both the federal and state government's arts funding organizations okay um and that was about growing cultural philanthropy okay extraordinary organization that's since been merged into creative partnerships australia mm-hmm. and i basically spent my time for about two and a half years mentoring arts organisations in fundraising. Right, okay. And, uh, you know, that is such a competitive space now where Mm. you're competing not only against other arts organisations but also not-for-profits who are really, you know, having to look at uh, innovative ways to generate... Uh, you know, revenue, I suppose. Um, You're competing against cancer. Sure. You're competing against starving children. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, so, um, you know, for people who are, you know, working in the corporate space who don't really have any visibility on this, talk Mm. talk about, I mean, obviously you became a mentor and therefore pretty skilled at it. What what are some of the uh, sort of the key attributes of running successful philanthropic uh, exercises? Um, look, it's really about the, the compelling case for support. Yeah. Um, you know, explaining to people why you're going to make a difference in the world and mm-hmm. what your organisation does is, is going to make a difference in the world. Um, and finding the right donor at the right level at the right time. So really personalising and targeting that match. Mm-hmm. Um, different in many ways to corporate sponsorship, yeah. um, which... 
you know, less so these days, but it's a history of being about logos and corporate entertaining. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, philanthropy is very much about those sort of personalised and, and targeted opportunities. So in some ways, if you've got $500, you might choose not to give it to Australian Ballet. Yes. Um, because that probably wouldn't even earn your name on a on a right. wall there. Yeah, sure. But you could give five hundred dollars to a small organisation mm-hmm. to um, to do something extraordinary that would that would facilitate a series of workshops mm-hmm. with kids with disabilities learning theatre sports or, mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. else. You know, mm-hmm. so um, that that was where it was exciting, where right. where I could help to sort of leverage those matches mm-hmm. um, between little organisations making big impacts. Right. And was uh, Powerhouse one of the stakeholders that you were involved with at the time? Look, I had a little bit to do with with the Brisbane Powerhouse and they were doing some great stuff at the time with um, one of Queensland's sort of significant philanthropists, Graham Wood, mm-hmm. um, who um, was one of the What If founders yes. and, um, you know, is, is an extraordinary philanthropist now nationally mm-hmm. um, doing doing great things. So, so that's sort of how I first sort of got to connect with the with the powerhouse mm-hmm. but um yeah okay yeah. and then that took you into philan- uh, philanthropy australia yes same yeah. organization different organization so different organization it was an interesting situation where the team at art support um felt that a lot of what we were trying to do in terms of grow philanthropy encourage um, high net worth individuals to consider structured giving mm-hmm. was something that we could probably do on a broader scale and mm-hmm. at a national level. So okay. um, a lot of us went over to Philanthropy Australia and okay. there were um, you know, so, uh, some great energy around that board to sort of really reinvigorate that organisation mm-hmm. and, and do some exciting things. Okay. And part of your role there setting the strategy, were you looking internationally for best practice in you know, other countries to see what they were doing? Yeah, absolutely. Look, we, um, I guess we always look to America probably as, as the, one of the big examples in, mm-hmm. in philanthropy. There's an extraordinary culture of giving there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like workplace giving a, a compulsory, um, you know, there's, there's a, a real um, pride in having your name on a building okay. or, or, or that sort of thing. We mm-hmm. really, um, in Australia, probably suffer a little from tall poppy syndrome, mm-hmm. where um, you know we don't showcase our. We hide a light under a bushel, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. So, um, what do you mean when you refer to workplace giving? So, workplace giving is where um, you would make a set donation, probably weekly or, or fortnightly, Out through your, your payroll, right. yeah, before okay. tax. Um, and there are various systems where mm-hmm. you can either choose a charity of your choice okay. or where your organisation might collectively right. vote to support a particular charity. Right. Um, and the nice thing about those programs is that charity might then come in and you know do presentations mm-hmm. or there might be volunteering opportunities mm-hmm. or um, some places uh, encourage staff to take a day off a month or whatever right. to go and work in that charity. Sure. Um, and so yeah. when you say it's compulsory, every employee in the US must do that to some degree. Largely, yes, wow. yes. So you'd have to have a really good reason why you'd want to opt out of okay. workplace giving. Sure. Whereas, you know, my knowledge is a few years out of date, but last I heard the Commonwealth Bank was the only place in Australia with compulsory workplace giving. Right. Um, and others were much more opt-in. Yeah, right. That's fascinating. I look at this space and obviously because I'm recruiting at sea level all the time, mm. I'm constantly reached out uh 
you know, for sleep, CEO sleep out, dancing yes. with the CEOs, you know, walk through the desert with CEOs, climb Mount Kilimanjaro <laughs> CEOs. And, you know, it's just become so incredibly saturated. Mm. Um, and the expectation is, you know, so high now. Oh, we'd love you to commit to this. And to commit, you've got to put down a deposit of $10,000 and guarantee that you raise $100,000. Mm. Um, and I question whether, you know, that type of uh, fundraising has sort of reached its uh, saturation point because, yeah. you know, it's just completely overwhelming to the point where people switch off. Yeah. Oh, look, I'd, I'd probably look more to somewhere like a Macquarie for mm-hmm. a model of really best practice in okay. corporate fundraising and okay. corporate philanthropy. And what's that? So, look, you know, Macquarie, um, the most significant um, corporate giving um organise a business in, yeah. in Australia okay. um, and where they match the giving of their staff. Right. So whether you set out to um, raise $500 for your kid's fate yes. or the $10,000 to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, sure. yeah, yeah. They, um, they do the, the matching um, and it's really led and has always been led by mm-hmm. their, their boards and CEOs yeah. and, and okay. all of that sort of thing. But so. not compulsory, like Commonwealth Bank? No, not compulsory. And But I, but what I do understand with them is that it's um, it's very inspirational. Yeah, you know? sure. And it's the point of difference too, you know. Um, I guess in, in lots of those mm-hmm. kind of, um, you know, top-tier companies, mm-hmm. Pays great, water views of the office, sure. all of that sort of thing. And you'd know better than me. I suspect people and culture is ultimately what's going to be the point of difference. Yeah, well, I um, think in many respects, uh, having a small amount of money coming out of your pay each week uh, would probably give people a sense of relief that they were doing something without feeling obliged that they've got to make these big commitments. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yet Australians... Uh, I imagine trying to enact that in Australia is probably a challenge that nobody's really got the gumption to mm. <laughs> uh, uh, do. And so you're at um, uh, Philanthropy Australia until May 2015. Yes. And then into your current role. Mm. So talk a little bit about the uh, the recruitment process and how you came to be here. Um, oh, look, it was... Um you know, I got contacted through LinkedIn and, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, through someone who, um, who kind of knew that I, I might've been interested in a, in a role like this when it, mm-hmm. when it came around, I definitely wasn't looking, I was very happy where I was. Um, but I thought I'd sort of throw my hat in the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, that, that went through all the usual sure. steps and 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 leaps with a um, recruitment firm mm-hmm. and various interviews and meetings, the black spot psychometric testing yes. and um, and and all of that sort of sort of things. So, um, so when you were uh, considering the role and mm. you were looking at your own skill set, were there areas that you uh, felt, boy, if I get that job, you know, these are some areas that I really need to put attention to there's some skill gap there well I'd never run a building before sure um and especially a big leaky old heritage building yeah um so um so I've had a real baptism of fire in terms of understanding a lot of the elements of the precinct okay do you know what a grease trap is a grease trap yes oh you know more than me because Uh, before uh, I started uh, this uh, job I'm like what on earth is a grease trap so we have two of them here yeah yeah, sure (laughs) facility management background oh well there you go so uh, yes uh okay and so um obviously that's a big part of what this role entails so as you're going through the recruitment process no doubt that was 
part of the consideration. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think, you know, um, there probably could have been a path where the board would have elected to go with someone who was very experienced at running um, a building, I sure. guess. Sure, yeah. Um, look, my... Um, Expertise obviously was in most recently in that sort of fundraising and mm-hmm. philanthropy space, mm-hmm. um, but also I think they were they were probably interested in someone who was young and enthusiastic and sure. and wanted to you know um, throw a different lens on mm-hmm. things. Okay. So you know I um, I don't pretend to have expertise across lots of parts of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I can do is ask lots of questions mm-hmm. and say, well, why are we doing that? Mm-hmm. And the, if the answer is because we've always done it that way, well, that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is about um, oh, constantly rethinking, you know, change is, is constant. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's 100 million articles out there about that. That it's, sure. you know, we're not just changing this week and then everything's going to be the same for two years. Mm-hmm. It's always about that constant nimbleness mm-hmm. and readiness and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, responsiveness to... Sure. And you mentioned earlier that when you came into the role, uh, there were some unforeseen challenges. Mm. Um, You know, looking back in hindsight, do you think uh, if you'd uh, been more considered in terms of your due diligence, those things may have been, you would have become aware of those or was it just something that you just would never have known until you got into the role? Um... Oh, look, probably would never have known. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how um, how much you know digging mm-hmm. digging you can do. You know, you can I guess you can ask you know speak to more peers in the sector or sure. um, you know dig into the yeah the financials and and things are all very very mm-hmm. strong. So, but yeah. at no point did you say, "Boy, I think I might have uh, bitten off more than I can <laughs> chew here." No, no, I think. Um, the real advantage in in picking up those challenges when we did was mm-hmm. that actually um, we've sort of steered the organisation mm-hmm. on a on a good course, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, with well well enough time to, sure. um, okay. to do that. And so the uh, the audience for this podcast are mm. aspiring CEOs or C suite yep. executives uh, and non executive directors and. Uh, uh, I'd be interested in you sort of talking about what you perceive as the differences in being the CEO of an arts organisation yep. versus a more typical commercial business. Um, it's a good, a good question. I think there's... Um, it, we sort of measure our success in different ways. Mm -hmm. It's not about profit. Sure. I'd like it to be about profit, but our success um, is measured in our social value Mm -hmm. as well, our cultural value. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, you know, success is measured in in audiences, in um, community engagement, Mm -hmm. in, um, in in the strength of our artistic program, um, the resonance of of of, um, of our creative choices. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and 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 less about sort of selling widgets and, and whatever yeah. else. But that said, you know, um, a, a corporate's not necessarily judged just on profit either. Sure. You know, it's judged on on brand and quality and yeah. um, people and culture and, mm-hmm. and and all sorts of other things. Mm-hmm. So. And so, when you came into the role and the board set the mandate for you, mm. welcome. Uh, mm-hmm. This is what we'd like you to achieve. 
you know, what kind of measures did they put in place around some of these more qualitative rather than quantitative outcomes? Oh, look, that's, that's really something we're continuing to shape okay. um, in terms of, so we implemented, for example, a staff uh, engagement survey, yeah. um, which was a sort of, you know, an anonymous um, survey. So now we've done that once, mm-hmm. now we can now set the benchmarks for where we need the the growth and change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've undertaken an external stakeholder review, so that's, um, you know, raised a, a range of uh, opportunities and um, things we can do some more work on, mm-hmm. so now we can benchmark against that. Mm-hmm. And so when you're looking out across the Brisbane landscape and mm. you're seeing that there are other uh, places competing for people's spend in terms of yeah. where they want to go out and be entertained. How easy is it for you to get a sense of you know market share and some of those kind of drivers that you know are, again a commercial organisation could measure relatively easily? Look, it's interesting because uh, you know people talk about our competitors all the time. Are we competing with? QPAC, which is the Queensland Performing Arts Centre, you know, the big, sparkly, big end of town. Are we competing with um, Queensland Theatre Company or Le Boite or, yeah. or um, you know, other, other sort of mid-tier arts organisations? I'd actually suggest that our biggest competitor is Netflix and Game of Thrones. Sure. Um, because it's easier for me, mm-hmm. as, as the target market for Brisbane Powerhouse, to stay at home on a Saturday night with a glass of wine in my jammies and mm-hmm. watch great TV. Yeah. Um, why do I need to come out, struggle to find a car park, you know, pay for a, a, a cultural experience that I don't know whether it will be good or, or bad, yeah. um, and then uh, and then sit in a lumpy seat? The upside here, of course, is the wine is always excellent. Right. So, um, so yeah, so our, one of our challenges in being competitive mm-hmm. is actually reiterating to people why a live arts experience is important. Mm-hmm. It's the same as why going to live sport sure. is exhilarating, mm-hmm. whether you like the rugby league or not, going yeah. to a game is good fun. Yeah. Um, I'm not so interested in watching it on telly. Um, so why why a live arts experience is important? It's mm-hmm. the um, the intimacy, the person, the way the way art can truly move you mm-hmm. um, is important. So how do you control that dialogue? Is that something that you you share responsibility with your arts competitors in terms of uh, a, a broad education piece or is that something you need to tackle individually? Look, we tackle it individually, but we would probably do more to tackle it collectively. Sure. Um, and that conversation bubbles up a, a, occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the interesting thing for us in thinking about the next five years in Brisbane will be the casino project okay. that, um, that comes online. Yeah. Howard Smith Wharves is going to be a fabulous new waterfront precinct opening mm-hmm. under the Story Bridge um, in the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. So uh, we all need to think about how we're not only competitive but collaborating Mm -hmm. um, having a unique experience that's different from what's on offer elsewhere Mm -hmm. Um, and that one of the strategies we're literally in the process of implementing here right now is the implementation of a visitor experience strategy okay so 
much more than customer service, um, actually thinking about that whole experience from the minute you think about buying a ticket Mm -hmm. through to arriving at the car park, collecting your tickets, being seated, having a glass of wine Mm -hmm. and everything more we could do Mm -hmm. um, so that people truly feel, um, you know, like they're part of something. Mm So maximising every touch point. Absolutely. And whether that's through membership programs or VIP initiatives Mm -hmm. or um, just ensuring that you get something personal, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's um, someone to greet you, someone to tell you where things are, Mm -hmm. nice hand soap in the bathrooms Mm -hmm. um, and and everything in between. And that's very much a a growing... um, strategy across the arts mm-hmm. uh you know i was in sydney last week talking to people in you know in some really big institutions about right. how they've implemented that kind of thing in the mm. last last little while right okay um, and uh from what i understand you're uh, doing some interesting things in terms of uh getting younger people more involved by having a special kind of uh, benefactor type program targeting yeah, them. So yeah, tell us about no, that. absolutely. So the Contemporaries program is something that's kicked off in the last six months. Mm-hmm. So that's an opportunity, particularly for young donors um, under forty, to be um, to be members um, and to. Uh, have those intimate money can't buy experiences um, with with Brisbane Powerhouse. Mm-hmm. So whether that's behind the scenes tours, whether it's um, meeting artists, meeting our artistic director, hearing about um, shows that are being developed or, or activities that are in development that no one else has yet heard about, mm-hmm. um, or just meeting for a glass of wine before a show and or after a show and having a chat about it. Mm-hmm. So we had a really lovely little um, contemporaries event a few months ago now um, around Tom Thumb and the Queensland Symphony Orchestra. Okay. So so they were here for, what, a special insight into that production? Yeah, yeah. So there was um, drinks and canapes and that sort of thing beforehand and then people got to go and see the show. Okay. Um, and that's great. That's part of the, the symphony, the, the Queensland Symphony Orchestra contemporaries program. Mm-hmm. So, um, a currents program, sorry. So a real alignment of, of right. brands, our contemporaries and, and their kind of young invigorated activity. Yeah. And so uh, do you sense that younger people are becoming more attracted to the arts or certainly within the demographic or are they your biggest uh, uh, you know, lost audience to Netflix, etc.? Well, yeah, probably a, b- a bit of both. I think um, we're probably seeing a generation of people in their 30s who've got some cash, want to have quality experiences, you know, great dining, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. Mm. So, that, you know, that's exciting for, for people to be involved and, um, and and they want a bit more from their experience. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, I, I listened to a podcast. My favourite one is this fellow in the US named Mark Maron. And Mark Maron interviews a lot of people from the arts, in mm. particular uh, theatre directors and, and playwrights and so on. And uh, talking about how the theatre is very much an old person's uh, activity there and uh, really trying to encourage younger people to come through. Uh, Yeah, I imagine that must be uh, extremely challenging. It's a huge concern across the entire art sector Mm -hmm. and probably more so in the classical music, opera, um, ballet space. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have a really great live music comedy audience um so we actually get more men yes than probably right um you know the average sort of classical okay. arts organization sure might do. all right and so um you know in terms of your own career uh taking you through to now being ceo what if you had to distill some of the key learnings for you 
as to one, how to uh, manage your career to, to get to CEO and also you know, how to deliver great outcomes. What, what would you say are some of the key uh, uh, things that you've learned and applied well in your own uh, experience? Um, oh, look, it's, a, it's an interesting um, sort of set of questions, I guess. In one way, I probably never master planned where I was planning on going or, or what I was sort of setting out to do. I've, I've had some great opportunities and, um, you know, doors have, have opened at, at opportune times. I've worked with some extraordinary people who have really supported me in, mm -hmm. in, in lots of ways. Um, so, so that's been great. Um, but also I've sort of really tried to um, engage much more broadly. So um, joining boards, committees, um, you know, doing more than the mm -hmm. job kind mm -hmm. of thing. So I think that's really critical in terms of, of taking steps in your career because mm -hmm. there have been a lot of people who would, you know, work hard and do well at work, but it's often those broader networks and, and things that you get involved with that sure. help, absolutely. And given your, you know, your uh, qualifications are very specifically within the arts, mm. have you ever felt a sort of a desire to go back and, you know, complete formal um, master's level business education or so on? Oh, look, if I was rich, I'd probably go and do the Harvard sure. MBA in the non-profit non MBA yes. um, program that they have. Um, I did an extraordinary program at Melbourne University, at Melbourne Business School, um, called the Emotionally Intelligent Leader. Okay. Some years ago, and right. um, you know, I'd, I'd love to go and you can do a bunch of those modules and add that up to being an MBA. Okay. Um, so you know, I, I'm really only interested in very applied right. study. Um, you know, that would have a, a sure outlets. Why, why do you look at that emotionally intelligent leader program as being so significant? Oh, it was just outstanding and, and really as a way to kind of understand much more about myself, mm -hmm. about different styles of leadership, but also to understand a little more about how, uh, what other people are like and therefore how you engage with them. Mm -hmm. That sort of Classic, the, the most classical one, I guess, is that I'm an extrovert yes. and understanding how to work with introverts. Right. That um, you don't spring things on them, uh, you know, at last minute. Mm -hmm. You allow people time to go and often think and come back. That you don't sort of put them, make them speak in front of big crowds mm -hmm. without planning. Um, which are all things that I'm really comfortable with and sure. frankly I'm so busy is the way I work most of the time. And so um, is that something that now you would formally put your, you know, your direct reports through say Myers-Briggs in order to work out their personality type? Yeah, very interesting. Like we just, when I first started, we did a, um, a thing called Luminous Sparks, okay. um, which I think is one of those, modelled on a, on a range of those tools yeah. um, and was a, a, a great exercise because we put the leadership team through it here here yeah. yes yeah yeah and um and then ran a workshop where everybody's results were talked about okay and um it's one of these things where you have four colors of quadrants right and so they put the kind of colored paper on the ground and you go and stand in your primary one and right. you stand in your primary one and you sat there and went oh that's why you and i aren't gelling because you are over way over on the other side right, from sure. me or well, that's why you and I are, are alike because we are ideas people and um, and whereas you over there are the detail finisher person right, and, yeah. and so on so I find those tools really powerful mm -hmm. no matter which one really I've always sure um, 
for both understanding yourself, but mm-hmm. also um, how what others are like in, okay. in your team. Okay, great. And now looking to the future, uh, one year under your belt here at the Powerhouse. So if yeah. you look, you know, what are the things that you're excited about achieving here over, say, the next three to five years? Well, we've just written a, a five-year plan, Brisbane Powerhouse 2020. Okay. Um, so, you know, really we've, we've got a lot of things to, to head towards. Yeah. Um, the greatest strengths of this organisation are its the passion, the loyalty, the, um, you know, the affection that it's held within the community. Mm-hmm. Um, people are here from nine in the morning till all hours of the night. So we don't have any problems with people wanting to be here. Yeah. Um, what we are challenged with, like all nonprofits, is sustainable sources of funding mm-hmm. um, and, and um, earned income. So that's our, our big projects. Um, but we have a diverse base from which to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all sorts of, of options open to us, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's selling t-shirts or a coffee cart on the front plaza through to you know doing something more with the river or mm-hmm. um or anything in between okay and what about in terms of your own career what are you excited about it, uh, taking it into in the future oh well you know i guess if, if i can turn brisbane powerhouse from 12 million to 17 million mm-hmm. then maybe it's about finding what that that next step is okay my husband um when the weather forecast for this weekend was 29 degrees, right. my husband said to me, he said, Fiona, we're moving to Tasmania. Right. <laughs> because he hates the summer. Okay. Um, and he said, MoMA is, is, is calling you. MoMA oh. is calling you the Museum <laughs> of Old and New Art. Yeah. So, um, so who knows? Right. Who knows? Yeah. And uh, I suppose, you know, the CEO opportunities within this space are pretty niched. There wouldn't be, uh, you know, a huge amount uh, of... Uh, options if you wanted to stay in Australia? No, no, but I, look, you know, having worked in the broader non-profit sector mm-hmm. um, with Philanthropy Australia, there are some amazing non-profit organisations out there doing great things. Mm-hmm. And the great advantage of stepping outside of the arts for a couple of years was to look at different models, different ways of thinking, mm-hmm. while still being in socially driven organisations. Mm-hmm. So I'd never be adverse to you know, going into a, a large, um, you know, community organisation in okay. health or disability or, or whatever sure. else. Because I think the thing to learn there is that they're $300 million organisations. Mm-hmm. So you could head up a, an, a, an arm or a department or a unit five times bigger than the yeah, current operation here, yeah, yeah. but still work within a really skilled mm-hmm. leadership team. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Know. And just to close out the conversation, because there's a good opportunity to reach out potentially to an, order, uh, an audience who could potentially uh, get involved with mm. the powerhouse in terms of uh, making donation or uh, corporate sponsors and so on. Why don't you talk a little bit about the value proposition and the kind of uh, engagement that you're looking for in that regard? Yeah, yeah. Look, Brisbane Powerhouse really has something for everybody. You know, we have outstanding families and kids programs. We've got great corporate engagement opportunities, you know, stunning waterfront venues um, and, uh, and, and, a, and an arts product that, that could whet everybody's appetite mm-hmm. um, from, um, you know, challenging contemporary theatre through to lighthearted cabaret, um, comedy, digital and, and all sorts. Um, so there is just so much for, for people to be involved in. And the beauty is that we're big enough to have 
good systems and strength and, and sustainability, but small enough that every point of engagement can be bespoke and personal. Mm-hmm. So I take great pleasure in handwriting thank you notes to donors, mm-hmm. you know, because I feel that's really important. That's the point of difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than cash, which obviously is mm-hmm. uh, really important, what are, what are some of the other things that you would really love to have you know, from particular types of corporate sponsors? Oh, look, we, some of our most significant sponsors are very much in kind, mm-hmm. particularly around, um, you know, the media and, and, um, and marketing mm-hmm. side of things, you know, whether that's, um, you know, TV, radio and, and so on. Um, but also it's about values alignment and mm-hmm. therefore whether we can work with people on um, sharing delivery of programs or, or that sort of thing. Okay, well, certainly, you know, in the show notes for uh, the podcast, I'll put mm. some uh, links to Fiona's uh, LinkedIn profile and the Brisbane Powerhouse. And anybody who's listening who'd like to, you know, get involved, uh, I'm sure uh, we can help to facilitate an introduction. Well, Fiona, I'd really like to say thanks very much for taking the time, uh, particularly uh, as you're not feeling 100% today. It's great chatting to you, and uh, I look forward to uh, coming along to uh, my next powerhouse uh, presentation. I was here for a drink last weekend and uh, uh, I've been uh, living in the area for a long time and it's been a great place to hang out so it's nice to be able to finally meet you. Yeah thank you it's been an an absolute pleasure and and yes do um, you know do reach out and and connect because I'm always really happy to hear from people who um, who might want to join the family. Fantastic well have a great afternoon. Thank you. Well, thanks again for joining us on the Arato podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Fiona. I'm looking forward to having you along for future episodes. And in the meantime, have a fantastic day.